so it's it's not a problem for us. Yeah. All right, here we go. Yeah. All right. So I'm grateful to join with you today. Thank you for joining me, Masterful Living (laughs) 3. Oh, let's take that breath of love and gratitude together. So grateful, so thankful to open ourselves to the unprecedented, unlimited flow of love that's happening in our heart, in our mind. So grateful that spirit is so abundant, so beautiful, so pure, so free. We're grateful and thankful to open ourselves to this flow of love and wisdom and creativity and clarity. We're grateful and thankful to say yes to an unprecedented experience of divine wisdom flowing through us individually and collectively. We are grateful and thankful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to recognize and remember that our true nature is wholeness, freedom, wisdom, clarity, beauty, truth, and the all good of God. We come together for this holy purpose. What I know is that it is already done in the mind of the infinite, and we're accepting it fully now. We share the benefits with all beings because we are one with them. And in deep gratitude, we say yes. We let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yes. All right. So I'm going to take us interactive here and give everybody a chance to say hello. So this is your divine opportunity to... Remember where your mute button is (laughs) if you need to. Here we go. Interactive. And let's just all say hello here. So let's start with the West Coast. Who would like to say hello? Hello, Carla Portland. Hey, Carla. On the East Coast, who would like to say hello? Hello, from Lawrence in Boston. Hey, Lawrence. And Linda in Erie, Pennsylvania. All right. Hey, Linda. And we have one left. Hi, it's Lana from Mississippi. Hey, Lana. All right. So... What Spirit has guided me to is, in Chapter 2, there's a section called The Special Principles of Miracle Workers, and I keep getting guided back to this for us. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. It's on my page 27. While I'm giving you a chance to do that, I want to say if you were listening to last night's class, we got deep into Quimby. Uh, one of the things was I didn't realize I was looking at a book that uh, 
nobody else was looking at. So I thought I was looking at this book that Ron Raitz had recommended, but then he said, no, no, that wasn't the book I recommended. It was another one. So the one I was reading from yesterday was The Healing Wisdom of Dr. P.P. Quimby. The Healing Wisdom of Dr. P.P. Quimby. And basically, it's just it's pulling out essays that he wrote that are in the manuscript. They're in the Quimby manuscript. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was just another way to see more clearly his essays pulled out. And so... I think it's just if you wanted to have it for that purpose, you might get it. Uh, but it's all already in the Quimby manuscripts. Uh, so I bought the wrong book. <laughs> I'll have to go back and get the book that Ron was talking about. So and I'm also going to mention here that next week we do not have a class. I will be on vacation with my family. And so you'll have a community call on Wednesday instead. And so special principles of miracle workers. Uh, and we'll just start with number one. The miracle abolishes the need for lower order concerns. Since the miracle is an out-of-pattern time interval, the ordinary considerations of time and space do not apply. When you perform a miracle, I will arrange both time and space to adjust to it. So I, what I find is lovely about this is the miracle abolishes the need for lower order concerns. So what are lower order concerns? Anybody have thought about that? Time and space. Yeah, so can you say a little more? Uh, I guess, um, well, lower order concern might be uh, just rushing, uh, worried about being late. Worried about being on time, or yeah, I guess exactly. I yeah, mm -hmm. I was thinking more just in general, time and space in general. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's the stuff of life. It is that stuff of life. And just think about how much time and energy we put into lower order concerns. It's most of our waking hours, right? The miracle yes. abolishes the need for lower order concerns. So to me, if I'm focusing on being miracle-minded, I am naturally eliminating most of the things that bother me and concern me. 
isn't that the fastest path to having a more enjoyable life? Is that rhetorical? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's I think it's really worth saying yeah, yeah, hey, I get it. You know, because we can get this stuff intellectually, as you well know, but it's really when we can take it into our heart and apply it that we're going to have some healing. So just recognizing that to me is giving ourselves an opportunity for major healing. I agree. Yeah. Lower order concerns. Those are concerns about the body. All kinds of lower order concerns consume our attention and our awareness. So how do we move into experiencing more miracles through forgiveness, releasing our judgment? So this, the second special principle of miracle workers is, number two is, a clear distinction between what is created and what is made is essential. All forms of healing rest on this fundamental correction on in level perception. So a clear distinction between what is made and what is created, what is created and what is made. So you've heard me talk about that a number of times, but just to review it here. So that which is created is created by the creator. So we are created in the image and likeness of the creator. We are created by the creator. And we can create in this world, we can create uh, expressions of spiritual quality. So expressions of beauty and wisdom and clarity and love and joy and freedom and harmony and peace we can create expressions of the spiritual qualities. That's extension. So remember in A Course in Miracles, Jesus tells us that when we, when our vision is clear, we will see our brothers and sisters as the great rays. We'll see the great rays shining from them. And so we'll see those spiritual qualities being expressed by our brothers and sisters when we see them correctly. And this this is our creative opportunity is to express the spiritual qualities and thereby extending them. So of course the miracles talks about extending love. It's harder for me to mute and unmute people on my phone, and I have no internet except on my phone right now, so people can just be mindful of their noises. Yeah, I was trying to to pay you 
can 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 I ask you a question about something you went over a minute ago on number one? Absolutely. When you perform a miracle, I'll arrange both time and space to adjust to it. So is that like like extending love and stuff like that? I mean, what does that mean? So uh, what is A Course of Miracles defined as a miracle? Change in perception? Yeah, to think like, um, to see the connectedness, the oneness. So when we see our brothers and sisters as not being separate from us, that's a miracle. So why would time and space need to be adjusted to it? I don't understand that. I will arrange both time and space to adjust to the miracle. So just speculate. What might that mean? <laughs> you don't want to be asking. Well, you don't have to be the only one that answers. So I will arrange oh. both time and space to adjust to your change in perception, to an awareness of the truth. I will arrange both time and space to adjust to your awareness of the truth. Here's another way of asking the question. So, have you ever had an experience where you were looking at something in your life and you had a misperception about it, but you didn't know it? But you just know that something bothered you. Maybe it really bothered you. Your your perception of it bothered you. You were irritated by how you were holding it in your mind. And then you decided to move into forgiveness, to move into non-judgment, to move into compassion, kindness, and love. And then your perception shifts because of your willingness. And now what seemed to be a block or a problem dissolves and resolves. There seems to be what humans would call a miracle in form. That's adjusting time and space. Is that like the thing you say where when all the things the locusts have eaten... So all those things that have been weighing us down for years, once you forgive it, it's gone, right? Is that the same thing? Well, once you forgive it, what is it? Once you let it go. Once you live it, let it go or forgive it, either way. You're letting go of the meaning you made of it. Once you do that, then... You have the recognition it never existed in the first place. You're no longer making it, quote, real, end quote. But the main thing is, once you forgive something and that uh, have that experience of, getting the years that the locusts had eaten up back, 
the the years that the locusts had eaten are the ones where you were worried or afraid or angry or resentful or guilty or ashamed. And once you forgive, you release the meaning you made of it, then all the energy that you invested in not forgiving is now returned to you. All the the painful karma that you were generating now just becomes the learning and you harvest it and it's yours. So what once, what just a moment ago seemed like a waste, a waste of your life, your money, your time, your energy, when you harvest the learning from your experience, it's not a waste anymore. Does that show up in form? That's exactly what it's saying. Uh, Time and space will adjust to it. Okay. All right. The sense of lost, lost time, lost energy, that sense of loss will dissolve. I think I understand. Thank you. I, I used to have to sleep like a lot because I was, it's, and now I don't seem to need it. And so I think, I think that's what you're talking about. So I, I get it. Thanks. Yeah. You know, that's like me. I used to need nine hours of sleep, but now I usually sit, sleep six and a half or seven. I wouldn't mind sleeping for eight hours, but I used to hate the fact that I needed nine hours. But I needed that dream time. I needed that time to process. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have anything they'd like to comment or share about? I think I had a little bit of a a um experience with the arranging of time and space. Um, yeah. A friend stopped over unexpectedly and I had some errands that I had to run before I went to my mother's today and I was thinking when she arrived I was just about to leave to go to the grocery store for my mom and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get all this done. Like, all that stuff was going through my head. (laughs) And she came in here, and she was so excited because she's just discovered the course. And Ah. I had lent her my um, audio CDs of uh, Disappearance of the Universe. And she'd been listening to them for about a month. And she just, she was like, um, her mouth was going a mile a minute. She was so excited about everything that she's discovering. And it seemed like we were talking for the longest time, but I still had plenty of time to get to the store and do the grocery shopping and get to mom's and make dinner. And I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> how did that happen when, you know, I had planned it so that I would just have enough time to, you know, get the grocery shopping done, unload the groceries, make the dinner. And I still had time, even though we spent all this time talking. 
So I, I think that I was meant to leave as or as late as I did so that I wouldn't miss her coming over here so that we could talk about that and um, I could see how fired up that she was about all the stuff that she's opening herself up to and um, I think that was the miracle. <laughs> I think that was the miracle. She was very, um, like, very Catholic before and, like, would never open herself up to, to any of this stuff before. And it was just so, like, the light in her eyes was amazing just watching her talk about everything that she's experiencing now. And I think just just being there to witness it and having played a very small part in lending her those CDs and being able to talk to her about it was a miracle. It felt like a very sacred moment. And I still was able to get everything done that I needed to get done. Yes, that's a great example. So, do you do you have a sense of the miracles in terms of? Uh, well, what I see is I see that your friend is having miraculous thoughts. Yes. So time and space arranged itself for you to be able to talk with her. Yes. Because it really and, felt like I must have stopped. <laughs> We're talking. In order uh-huh. for me to get everything done. Yeah. Yeah. And you, the miracle was you let go of the fear thought that you wouldn't have enough time in order to celebrate your friend's awakening awareness. Yes. And so you were joined in your willingness to celebrate the miracle. Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Once again, God is awesome as us. Yes. <laughs> sure is. Yeah. <sighs> Anybody else? So the second principle a clear distinction between what is created and what is made is essential. So we talked about what is created. What is made is what is generated through our ego thoughts. That's what's made in this world. Those are the things we make. All forms of healing rest on this fundamental correction in level of perception. So level perception is working at the level of the form, perceiving at the level of form, rather than uh, 
really working completely in the mind. Someone is moving around quite a bit who's unmuted, and uh, it's just challenging for me to mute people out on the phone. It's the website's not mobile friendly, so um, thank you. So, uh, does anybody have any questions about what is created and what is made? So recognizing that what is created is created by the creator. Now remember, we are expressions of the creator, and we are endowed with the qualities of the creator, so we can create. We can create expressions of beauty and wisdom and clarity and freedom and joy and harmony and peace and love, etc., and we can also make things. So we can make tables and chairs and dinner and things like that. The third special principle is never confuse right and wrong-mindedness. Never confuse right and wrong-mindedness. Responding to any form of error with anything except a desire to heal is an expression of this confusion. So let's see if we can get some examples here of confusing right and wrong-mindedness. So responding to any form of error with anything except a desire to heal is an expression of this confusion. So responding to any form of error with a desire to heal. Can anybody give an example of responding to uh, any form of error with a desire to heal? Well, would an example be... um so a coworker perhaps um instead of judging that person it would be having understanding and compassion for for that person and seeing who they truly are in their essence yes exactly mm-hmm. so what comes into my mind maybe because I'm in Chicago and I'm going to see Joan tomorrow. Uh, I have been thinking about her daughter and her situation that she's shared with us where uh, her daughter is dating this man that is um, who had hurt her and then who also had been driving a car uh, or they, the two of them, I forget now who was driving, but the two of them were in a very bad car accident where Joan's daughter broke her neck and he um, he abandoned her in that car accident. And now they're talking about moving in together. And you might recall that Joan had shared that um, she... Uh, 
hadn't ever had dinner with him, that they, the family had never really had any interaction with him. And, um, and I had suggested that she arrange to have dinner with him and her daughter and to get to know him. And so she was willing to do that. And then not long after that, her daughter said that maybe she wouldn't move in with him. But now she was not so sure that was the next step. So it's the the error, responding to any form of error with anything except a desire to heal is an expression of the, the confusion between right and wrong-mindedness. So when Joan opened her mind to meeting this man and extending love to him, then she moved into that place of responding with compassion, which of course is a shift in her mind, which is a miracle. So then things in form began to shift and change. Now, especially if if we're, well, we don't really want to move into a place where we're extending compassion in order to manipulate things, to get them the way we'd like them to be. Because then we're in this confusion of right and wrong-mindedness. So when we can say, I don't know what is highest and best, but I have a desire to be right-minded. I have a desire to be loving and compassionate and generous and kind and patient. I have a desire to extend love. I have a desire to see things clearly and to know clearly the highest and best choice in every moment. That is my desire. It's a healing desire. It's the desire to have a healing walk in this world to express a healing consciousness, then things are going to shift in time time and space. Then we're being miracle-minded. In fact, if you go right above this section to paragraph 10 above, charity is a way of looking at another as if he had already gone far beyond his actual accomplishments in time. And that's, you know, in a sense, this is the doorway that Joan opened. It says, since his own thinking is faulty, he cannot see the atonement for himself, or he would have no need of charity. The charity that is accorded him is both an acknowledgement that he needs help and a recognition that he will accept it. Both of these perceptions clearly imply their dependence on time, making it apparent that charity still lies within the limitations of this world. 
I said before that only revelation transcends time. The miracle, as an expression of charity, can only shorten time. It must be understood, however, that whenever you offer a miracle to another, you are shortening shortening the suffering of both of you. This corrects retroactively as well as progressively. This corrects retroactively as well as progressively. So you see where he's saying it corrects retroactively as well as progressively, backwards and forwards in time and space. So again, echoing what he says uh, a, a moment later, or the echo comes later, it's not linear really, but he says, when you perform a miracle, I will arrange both time and space to adjust to it. And is this not exactly what he says at the end of chapter 5 when uh, he says that, uh, you know, with that prayer on page 90, I must have chosen wrongly because I'm not at peace. And I can choose again. And the Holy Spirit will correct everything. And I don't have to worry about it. All the consequences. All the consequences. I'm just going to find it and read it exactly. I do not feel guilty because the Holy Spirit will undo all the consequences of my wrong decision if I let him. Yes. Any thoughts or comments about this? In... um Chapter 5, in in, um, section 3, The Guide to Salvation, paragraph 3, it says, there are two diametrically opposed ways of seeing your brother. They must both be in your mind because you are the perceiver. So the two diametrically opposed ways, seeing them, your brother is one with you or separate from you, right? Diametrically opposed ways of seeing your brother. They must both be in your mind because you are the perceiver. So our natural mind sees the oneness with our brother and the ego thought system sees the separation. It says they must so they must, both these ways of seeing must be in your mind because you are the perceiver. They must also be in your brother's mind because you're perceiving him. See him through the Holy Spirit in his mind and you will recognize 
the Holy Spirit in yours. And I'm changing the words just to make it a little more clearly there. So it says, see him through the Holy Spirit in his mind. See your brother through the Holy Spirit in your brother's mind. And you will recognize the Holy Spirit in yours. So it's the willingness to see your brother through the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit's eyes or perceptive ability. And then that's how you recognize the Holy Spirit is already there in your mind. So this is very much related to the confusing right and wrong-mindedness. Responding to any form of error with anything except a desire to heal, which is a desire to see it clearly, to see it with the Holy Spirit's perception, which is to have no perception, but just to see the absolute truth of it. The desire to heal is a desire to see it truthfully. Any thoughts about that? So is that that's also what it means in the prayer when it says, I will be healed when I let him teach me to heal? Yeah. I will be healed as I let him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's our willingness to let go of our perceptions and to really stand in that place of lead me, guide me, teach me, heal me. So when it comes from that desire to heal, to heal our own mind, the desire to heal our own mind is a desire to heal the mind of all humanity because we're one with them. So this is something we can be highly vigilant for is just noticing when we respond to anything with a a response that's not a desire to heal. And remember that oftentimes we can respond with a desire to fix things or correct things. But that doesn't mean it's a desire to heal. Does anybody have an example of that where you you can see that you or someone else had a desire to fix or correct things, but the desire to heal was not there? Well, I was um, kind of reminded of that today when I was talking to my friend and she was talking about how her son is going through some difficulties and she was trying to tell him uh, you know, like give him advice, and I remember feeling that way when I first really started understanding the course and how I wanted to like share it with everybody and um so really, I was trying to fix them, and what they were perceiving when I would give them unsolicited advice was that I was judging them and seeing them as wrong or bad. 
And it took me a little while to understand that as long as I'm working on my own stuff, as long as I'm healing my own stuff, the rest of that stuff will take care of itself. They will take care of themselves. They will heal themselves as I'm healing myself. Yes. Excellent example. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Anybody thank else you. have an example? I I I guess I have an example. <clears throat> Uh, so I talk with my brother or my sister, and she goes, "Oh, I know this is a judgment, but and I used to try to do try to assist her, and then I transitioned to listening, but still judging her. I mean, the first time I definitely judged her and told her something. Maybe there's another way to look at it, and she didn't like any of it, and so." It's an all big transition, so, uh, and then she kept doing it, and I just learned to just, I mean, probably still judge sometimes. That's way, way, way different, and it's actually, she's starting to shift now. She, she, she isn't so committed to her judgment, but she says it a little differently, and it's just interesting how. That's happened. Yeah. Yeah, and then yep. we talk, and it's like it flows so much easier. There isn't any tension or anxiety between us because it's she just says whatever she says, and I just let her go. And it's I, I think it all came from not wanting not really wanting not to judge her but realizing that this is how she's choosing to learn and it's all okay and so I used to think it was not okay (laughs) and then I realized it's okay everything's okay so it must be okay so it must be for our highest and best and so who am I you know to say differently beautiful Yeah, really beautiful. I really feel your shift there, Carla. Thank you. Anybody else? An example of trying to fix something? but not to heal it. Um, I was thinking about uh, when I was when I was Rand's prayer partner and I would pray for him, pray with him. My 
I was trying to, my, my idea, like intention, I guess, was toward fixing his physical condition. Toward right. Toward making his physical condition go away. But I wasn't really, but I wasn't focusing on healing. I wasn't focusing on healing the, healing it mental, healing the, healing it on the mind, healing the mind, healing the root cause. Right. I was not looking at that. I was stopping at the physical, the, the wrong, the wrongness of what was going on in his body. Right. And now, when I when I do that, I try to go straight to the. The level of the mind. I just skip. I try to skip over the the body, the physical body, for the time being, anyway. Well, and what I hear you saying, Lawrence, is to recognize that the body is an effect of the mind. Yes. Yes. So going to the cause. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm reminded that uh, I used to serve in the Agape prayer ministry uh, and a number of hours a month where I would answer the prayer line. And also many times praying with people after church service. And sometimes the challenge was people were there, I have to pay my rent tomorrow. I need you to pray for me to be able to pay my rent tomorrow. And me, my training as a practitioner is, I don't know what the highest and best is. My job is to release any idea that I think I know and to be completely open to the highest and best, to have no attachment to the form. You know, so this is why we looked at the section on should healing be repeated in the the manual uh, and doubt and the nature of doubt. And people, if if uh, in praying with them, if I focused entirely on spiritual qualities without mentioning the payment of the rent, sometimes people would definitely be, hey, you, you didn't sound like you paid for me to be able to pay my rent. That's what I'm coming here for. I need you to help me pay my rent. 
of course, in the mind of the infinite, might be the very best thing is they can't pay their rent and they have to go move in with their sister who's got something going on and the, and the presence of their, you know, their family member will be helpful to them and they can't get them in there, over there. Sure, can't get them over there any other way but to force them financially to go and live with their sister. We don't know. You know, we don't know. There have been many times when people say, I'm having trouble paying my mortgage. Please pay, pray for me to be able to pay my mortgage. And, uh, but in the mind of the infinite, the best thing is go bankrupt, short sell that house, get the heck out of there, and go over here. And then when you move over here, you're going to meet the love of your life, and you'll be so much happier. Get out of that house. But their ego is clinging to their house because they've invested so much time and energy and money, all things related to time and space, into the house. And the house represents something to them. It's an extension of their ego. Just like the body is an extension, you know, an expression of the ego. We get very attached to the things that have been made by the ego. The ego makes the body, the ego buys the house, decorates the house, lives in the house. It's like the ego made the house. So the ego made the house a home, it thinks. So it's it's a real it's definitely a a major shift in perception to be able to say, I do not know what is best in the world of form. So that's why I'm just going to choose love and wisdom and beauty and truth and wholeness and freedom and clarity and purity, etc. But let's face it, when someone is physically suffering, they would like prayer to have a healing and not be suffering anymore. And that's why I have us read the Sons of God. Because she's the greatest opening in her life, spiritually, financially, in all ways, comes from her willingness to accept her heartbreak as a gift. So I'm curious, what would you do? Because uh, what happens in, in your, my life, I mean, I wouldn't have that specific thing, but I'm just curious, something similar may happen. Can you be more specific about what would I do? do... What would you do whenever they said, hey, you didn't seem like you prayed for my how would you respond? Uh, uh, well, nobody ever really said it directly to me that I remember. Oh, but I was okay. mindful of it when I was praying for them. And sometimes it felt a bit tricky because, um, you know, I would be saying, I know that they're prosperous, I know that they're abundant, and uh, calling forth the healing in all blocks and uh, calling for open to more receptive than ever before 
more available to the good than ever before, calling forth streams of abundance and prosperity, and focus. So I would do that so clearly, but I wouldn't ever mention the rent. I would not bring up the rent because I just I just don't go to a lot of words about the world of form because then we just start getting attached to it, but we just don't know what's highest and best. And my job is to help people release their attachment to thinking they know what's highest and best. Now, here's an important thing to understand. And that is, in my prayer, I was completely convinced that the prosperity and the abundance was flowing, that the blocks that seemed to have been there were being dissolved and resolved, that the healing was happening at the level of the mind. And my faith in that, my knowing of that, would eliminate their their doubt about paying the rent and focusing on the rent and why am I not mentioning the rent. Mm. But if I was not faithful, because when I first started praying with people, I didn't have this kind of assurance that I developed, right? So... Uh, in the beginning, it, it felt more like, oh, should I mention that rent? Ah, that doesn't feel right to me. What, the, you know? And I'm trying to figure it out as I'm praying. Like I remember when I was uh, preparing to go into the training, I went to a meeting that was for people who were had chronic illness, and it was a prayer meeting, and. Uh, People were being prayed for individually. And I heard the practitioner praying, and the prayer was literally 15 minutes long. Literally. It just went on and on and on and on. And I was there, and then uh, not long after that, I had a session with my practitioner. And I said, you know, I went to this meeting of the, for the people who were chronically ill, and, uh, I I noticed the practitioner prayed for 15 minutes. Like, why would they pray for 15 minutes? What's that about? And my practitioner said, maybe that's how long it took them to get to the point where they knew the healing was done. So they just kept praying and praying and praying until they felt, ka-ching, okay, it's done. And I thought, oh, that makes sense to me. Because there had definitely been times where, and I have felt, even now, I can feel when I'm praying with people, uh, I can feel the doubt is there, the doubt is there, the doubt is there, and I keep praying until I feel, okay, yeah, now there's the, the faith is there, the willingness is there. Has anybody, can you relate to this? Do you, do you notice these, 
the sense of these feelings and shifting as you're praying, when you're praying? That your own doubt is being eliminated or someone else's is? Laura? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What we're doing is we're eliminating doubt from our mind. So if we have doubt, uh, it's in a sense, it's like everything else. It's not bad or wrong. It's just something that we are learning from. And our decision is that we're eliminating the doubt. So when we have the prayer, and in the beginning of the prayer, there's a, a bit of a feeling of, oh, gee, I don't know. And then you pray until you feel like, oh, yeah, now I know. I got this. Yeah, it's done. And I I feel it's valuable to be awake and aware to these uh, awarenesses because we don't want to pray by rote. And it can be very easy to do. I mean, my prayers are highly repetitive. I say new things every day in prayer. I'm like, oh, I've never said that before. But it's not about the words. It's about our awareness. Somebody was going to say something? Yes, it's Linda. Um, I had an experience one time um, where a friend asked me to pray for them for something. And I was praying for them, and I used the words highest and best. And when I was done praying, she said to me, how could it not be the highest and best? And I just, I kind of was floored and didn't really know what to say at that moment. But now I can see maybe not using those words unless I'm praying with somebody that really knows what that means. I knew in my heart that what I was praying for was for the highest and best of everybody that was involved in the situation, but that's not what she was hearing. So I don't really use those words when I pray with anybody outside of our Masterful Living Group anymore. I just didn't know... Can you can you be a little more specific? Okay, so it was um, for my friend Audrey who lost her husband in February. Right. And her son was in jail, and they were um, trying to get him to be able to come out of jail to visit his dad for a day before he passed away. Right. They were having some challenges getting that done. And I can't remember exactly everything that I said in the prayer. <laughs> because sure. I was really, I was really, you know, praying from my heart, as connected as I could get in that moment. And after, and I know that she was scared with everything that was going on and stuff. But afterwards she said to me, how could it not be the highest and best that Andrew gets to come home to see his father before he dies? And I just, I was, 
not prepared for that question, I guess, and didn't really know how to answer it. So I just said, well, absolutely, it would probably be for the highest and best for him to get to come and see his father before he dies. But, you know, I I don't know in the mind of God what is highest and best for Andrew and highest and best for Steve and highest and best for you. I don't know. So what I'm praying for is for the highest and best to happen. Why do you feel you couldn't tell her that? I just, I didn't have the words at the moment because I was, I just didn't, I was like, wow, I never even really thought about it before. (laughs) And I think I was, um, I don't know, I just, I was like a little shocked when she asked it. Uh Uh-huh. And just, like, the words completely escaped me. I had no idea how to answer the question. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up, Linda, because w- what it is is um, we have teaching opportunities, and God's presenting us with them all the time because we're teachers of God, and so we we're always learning, and we're teaching simultaneously. Mhm. And so what I sense as you're telling this story is that you're going to be teaching people to let go of thinking they know what's highest and best so that they can actually be available for what's highest and best. Yeah. So I'm definitely learning it myself as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so this experience got you into contemplating that. Yeah. So you were saying a few minutes ago that you wouldn't be using that phrase out without with people who weren't familiar with it. But what if it's perfectly wonderful for you to be able to use that phrase with people who aren't familiar with it and to be able to use any questions they might have as uh, an opening for them to consider things they haven't considered before. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. You know, what what I'm reminded of is um, once I became a licensed practitioner, uh, people would ask me to, or churches would ask me to um, sit on, uh, there's, in the science of mind community, when you're becoming a practitioner, you have uh, it, it, you have many tests along the way, many. And then at the end of the training, you have final exams that are written and final exams that are oral. And um, they prepare you with um, practice exams and practice orals. Um, and so uh, they ask practitioners who are licensed to come and sit on the the panels and uh, the practice panels and the um, official panels. So I was at some church sitting on a panel, and you you ask questions. 
uh, based on your experience uh, as a practitioner. So you're you're examining them, you know, to see if they're really prepared to be a practitioner. They know what they're doing. And so I remember on this one panel, I asked, I don't know how it came, where the previous questions had led us to uh, this point where I asked the question, the question that Spirit gave me was to ask them, would you ever offer to pray with someone not of your faith? You know, that you didn't really know. Mm-hmm. In, a, in, in a, you know, a kind of an outside setting, let's say. And the person on the panel said, no, absolutely not. Because in his mind, that would be, he, he thought I was saying like proselytizing or trying to coerce people into <laughs> praying with him or something. I, I don't know quite how he interpreted it, but he, he kind of felt like the answer was no, you don't do that. That's not good. And so it was, it, was, it was a perfect thing for spirit to have brought up, and I didn't hold it against him, but um, uh, I said, I just want to tell you, there have been many situations I've been in where people are frightened and they're worried, they're concerned, all kinds of things. I don't know them. I never met them before, and God is not. Nobody's talking about God, but I will just say. Would you like me to pray with you now? I would love to say a prayer about this if you would like me to. And people find great comfort in that. Even people who don't really believe much in God, they're like, you know what? That couldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. And because of my energy, they have no sense that I'm trying to convert them to some religious cult or anything. And so um, anyway, I just say all that to say, uh, I felt in that moment, it was definitely a teaching moment that I was there to be a teacher. And uh, there's so many, well, there's just every minute of every day is a teaching moment. So uh, rather than risk offending someone, be open to being the vehicle for the Holy Spirit to pour the teaching for you and the others at all mm-hmm. times. Yeah, so, it, it, yeah, thank you. I'm really glad you shared that because uh, that's uh, that that was my perception immediately is, oh, this is your opportunity to help her see a bigger picture in case he couldn't be there. Was he able mm-hmm. to be there? Yes, he was. But see, the 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 very fact that she could maybe entertain that the highest and best could be that he wouldn't be there, that would ease her mind. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just be planting a seed in her mind that uh, to relax the attachment. Yeah. Anybody else like to share anything?
great examples, everybody. All right. So the fourth special principle of miracle workers, the miracle is always a denial of the error, this error, the error being uh, confusion, or rather the error of responding to, let me back up here a second, the error of uh, confusing right and wrong-mindedness. The miracle is always a denial of the error, of an er this error, and an affirmation of the truth. And so it was also saying before, responding to any form of error with anything except a desire to heal is an expression of the confusion between right-mindedness and wrong-mindedness. And so the miracle is a denial of the error. So always remembering that the miracle is not what happens in form. The miracle is the shift in perception, shift in consciousness from perception to wisdom, to knowledge. Of course, the miracle says knowledge. I, I prefer wisdom. The miracle is always a denial of this error and an affirmation of the truth. So when we open our mind to be a vehicle for truth, then we're miracle-minded. And that being miracle-minded is the denial of the error, no longer believing in the error, which means that, seriously, the error will no longer continue to exist. It's our belief in the appearance of the error that gives it the appearance of life. Only right-mindedness can correct in a way that has any real effect. Think how valuable that thought is for us. Only right-mindedness can correct in a way that has any real effect. So if you think about the things in your life that seem to be wrong, that seem to be bad, that seem to be less than desirable, that we wish were different, and we'd like to have an effect on them, only right-mindedness can correct in a way it has any real effect. So again, all healing is at the level of the mind. So moving into right-mindedness will correct the effects. And we know this intellectually, but when we're really living this way, wow, life is so different. Only right-mindedness can correct in a way it has any real effect. So if you think about the people in your life that seem to bother you or worry you, Carla and your sister, Linda and your mom, Lana and your husband, 
Lawrence, is there someone in your life that you have worries or concerns about or that seems to bother you? Uh, yes, my partner. <laughs> so only right-mindedness can correct in a way that has any real effect. So just it's that willingness to be right-mindedness, right-minded so that we're not working at the level of form, we're working at the level of the mind and then all thought produces form at some level. So whether it's the level of emotions, the level of physical form, body form, circumstances, situations, only right-mindedness can correct in a way that has any real effect. Think of all the think of all the energy that's expressed in the world in a minute, in an hour, in a day trying to have an effect to change things and make things different when right-mindedness is all it's called for. War would end immediately if we all agreed to be right-minded. We wouldn't even have to agree on what right-mindedness is because we share the same mind and the Holy Spirit's in our mind, we just would have to agree to that. Holding that thought. Pragmatically, what has no real effect has no real existence. So this is like going back to what I was sharing earlier in uh, the Guide to Salvation, which is Section 3 in Chapter 5, that the way to, when when you're uh, talking about looking at your brother and feeling upset by them, I'm trying to find the way over there. (laughs) Uh, where it said there are two diametrically opposed ways of seeing your brother, right? Separate or one, united. And those two ways must both be in your mind because you are the perceiver. They must also be in your brother's mind because you are perceiving your brother. See your brother through the Holy Spirit in your brother's mind and you will recognize the Holy Spirit in yours. What you acknowledge in your brother, you are acknowledging in yourself and what you share, you strengthen. In other words, to have, give all to all. And it says a little bit later in in paragraph four of that Guide to Salvation, If you make the mistake of looking for the Holy Spirit in yourself alone 
and not in your brother, not in your sister. Your thoughts will frighten you because by adopting the ego's viewpoint, you are undertaking an ego alien journey with the ego as guide. And this is bound to produce fear. And that's really what extremism is. So back to the special principles of miracle workers. Pragmatically, what has no real effect has no real existence. So we allow the error to be corrected in our mind by choosing to be right-minded, by choosing to energize the desire to heal. What has no real effect has no real existence. Its effect then is emptiness. Being without substantial content, it lends itself to projection. So this is helpful to us in understanding projection. So that which is wrong-minded the thinking things should be different, they need to be changed, uh, we need to fix this, we're going to uh, work in the world of form to organize and arrange and change things without being guided by the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're doing is not going to, it won't have any real effect. And because it has no real effect, in other words, no healing benefit, it has no real existence. And therefore, the effect is emptiness. It's nothing. And because it's nothing, everybody can interpret it with their projections. It will appear to everyone as a different thing based on their projection. But when an experience of a, a miracle, an expression of a miracle, being right-minded brings expressions of miracles, there won't be the projection onto it. it will be clearly perceivable as healing, beneficial. This is helpful to us because what has no real effect has no real existence. Its effect then is emptiness. We don't need to concern ourselves with it. We don't need to worry about it. That's why we can say the Holy Spirit will take care of the consequences of my wrong decision. This is the get-out-of-jail-free card. Maybe get-out-of-jail-free is not quite the most helpful way to express it. What about get-out-of-jail-without- pain and suffering 
without having to pay a price, without having to be punished. If we can recognize that our wrong-minded choices, of which there are so many, that we do not need to be punished for them because their effect is emptiness. There's no real effect of them. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. But that which is empty makes the perfect place for us to put our projections on it and say, that's not good. Or for other people to say, that's bad. That was a waste. It's like people will say, when they first start taking Finding Freedom, it's common for a lot of people to say, oh my God, or even in the beginning of Masterful Living, oh my God, I've wasted so much of my life. Judging, complaining, attacking. I've wasted so much of my life. Now I can see that all the negativity was generated by me. I thought it was happening to me. And now I can see it was happening by me. And I've wasted my life. And for many, there can be a deep sense of despair and upset. But if they can see, oh no, it has no real effect. I don't do that. Yeah, me too. Then they don't have to punish themselves. If they can see, oh, all the consequences of my wrong decision will be healed. Because I'm willing to have a healing. And people will say, well, that's that's not enough. You have to be punished. You have to pay for your sex. No, you don't. You can, but that will not in any way shift anything except make you feel sad and tired. This brings up a, a kind of a question for me uh, around the prayers that we're doing for Rand. So instead of praying for him to have a healing in physically or in his mind, what I should be praying for is for my mind to see him correctly that there is absolutely nothing wrong with him. That's it right there. That's the whole benefit of doing the experiment. That's right. Wow. It's exactly the section, the guide to salvation. Two diametrically opposed ways of seeing your brother as whole or less than whole. As one with you, which is wholeness, or separate from you, which is sickness. 
They must both be in your mind. The ego thought system and the thought system of the Holy Spirit. Because you are the perceiver. They must also be in, we'll say, Rand's mind. Because you are perceiving Rand. See Rand through the Holy Spirit in Rand's mind. And you will recognize the Holy Spirit in yours. So see Rand through the Holy Spirit in Rand's mind. How can you do that? You can do that because you share the same mind. So when you look at Rand as whole in your mind, you are seeing him with his mind. So when I can release the need for things to be different in his situation and see it all as perfectly divinely planned exactly as it's happening, then we'll both be healed. Yes, and it's not just that. It's seeing his wholeness, his perfection, that nothing wrong can actually occur. Right. Nothing real is threatened. Nothing unreal exists. All things work together for good. There are no exceptions. But it's it's really not just that. It's also literally seeing him in your mind's eye as perfect, radiant, luminous light. Perfect, whole, and complete. Mentally, emotionally, physically. And and not separate. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're releasing seeing the separation. Two diametrically opposed ways of seeing your brother. As one with you, sharing the same mind, separate from you, separate bodies, separate minds. But another way to say that is Seeing the wholeness or seeing the sickness. So, for instance, Quimby's student was Mary Baker Eddy. Mary Baker Eddy wrote, created the Christian Science Church and Movement and wrote Science and Health, the textbook. And her teaching, as was Quimby, was not to recognize the error. And that that was what the whole class was about last night. Not to recognize the error as being real. I think I need a whole session with you on this. I'm like, hmm. Well, that's why we're spending so much time on this in in uh, our classes this year is because 
this is exactly what we all must get in order to get it on a heart level. We've got to really drill down into our attachments to being the error. Wrong-mindedness. So, okay. So we uh, see the air or we don't see the air? We don't, don't see the, we see the air. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. With your sister, mm-hmm. there's the sense that she's doing something wrong by judging. Mm-hmm. Don't make it real. Don't give it power. By It's like um, in uh, in the Course, Jesus says, you don't look upon sin and then forgive it. So you don't go, you know what? That was wrong and bad, but I'm going to forgive that. So then I'm really confused. I thought you said see the air. Now you're saying don't see the air. You make it real. I'm I'm confused. Yeah, don't see the error as being real. Mm. So don't see the error, but don't see it as real. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, don't don't give it power by like oh it's something that um, is bad or wrong that's happening. Don't even I mean the the highest way would be to not recognize it at all, not mm-hmm. to recognize it at all. So think of Jesus raising Lazarus for the dead from the dead. He didn't go in there and go, oh, shit, he's dead. Oh, my God. Let's see if we can revive him, you know. He was like, you're not dead. You're not dead. That's why, you know, that's that's in in uh, the Matrix when uh, Neo seems to be killed. Trinity says to him, you're not dead. Get up. And her knowing he's not dead, not recognizing the error, the errors in his thinking, mm-hmm. he's not recognizing error. You're not dead. Get up. He thought he was dead. Oh, okay, I'm not dead. I'm in the matrix. How could I die? It's just an illusion. We'll come back to this next time. But you see how it all <laughs> see how it all spirals in with the the work that we're doing with Quimby. Looking at belief and truth. It just I really appreciate this. That feels like I'm so close to seeing something, but I see some bit. That's something I'm not getting. And I'm like... <sighs> For a minute there, a few weeks ago, I got mad. <laughs> uh-huh. I got 
laugh at it now. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's like, it's not. I'm just not getting something. Here's the thing. You've heard me say this many, many, many times. Don't try to understand it. Don't try to figure it out. Just energize your desire to know the truth and to recognize that it's already there in your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit to shine the light on it so you can clearly recognize it and have a revelation. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Good. Having a revelation. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, see, you know, the the ego is in there um, saying, oh, no, this, this is beyond your ability to understand, uh, you know, oh, we already know it. You know, I started reading the <clears throat> Quincy manuscripts again last night, just go from the beginning again. Because I can get, I was jumping around, and I just noticed on the first, I don't know, three, four pages, that was said over and over, over and over again. I highlighted them all how Quimby was so interested in knowing the truth. That was really important. That was his whole thing. Focus on the truth, eliminate the belief. Mm-hmm. That's why when I first read Quimby, I, I was just like, oh my God, this is so great. Because that's my thing. You know, we all have the, the parts of the truth that we particularly feel liberated by and resonate with. For me, that's just such a clear, helpful thing. Focus on the truth, eliminate the beliefs. Identify, oh, that's a belief, that's truth. So helpful in clarifying the mind. Because the ego wants to attach to the beliefs, not let them go. It wants to make them real. All right. Breaking it down. All barriers to truth, we're breaking them down. So let's take that breath together. Give thanks for each other. Giving thanks for the examples that have been shared. The willingness to 
be authentic and transparent, the willingness to live in the light of truth. We give thanks for this. We are grateful and thankful to consciously attune to and partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self. Grateful and thankful to open our hearts and open our minds to infinite love healing us now. We're grateful and thankful to surrender all that is false and to allow ourselves to know clearly and fully and beautifully the truth that sets us free. We are grateful and thankful for our healing. Sorry. Get it to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it just, uh, I gotta go.